Welcome to another episode of Storyteller Studio, where we're gathering our lives through genuine conversations and gladly sharing them with folks around the world. As radio announcers, Liz and Tim believe there's something very special about being behind a microphone and letting their hair down. Sometimes people just need a reason to enjoy each other, either again or for the very first time. And we found plenty of others who feel the same. From artists, sports figures, and manufacturers, to filmmakers, authors, and media types, we all may know bits and pieces about a person, but there's always something more. So while we grab our headphones and turn up the mics, it's your chance to eavesdrop on yet another episode of Storyteller's Studio. Good morning and welcome back to Storyteller Studio. This is Tim Larson and we are back in Rockford, Illinois at the Edgebrook Center because I've got a local and she is a person that I met literally 10 minutes ago and that is not necessarily the situation with Storyteller Studio, but Emily Hurd, thank you so much for coming in. Thank you for having me. Yeah, and I am encouraged because I think I'm going to learn a ton because the only thing I know about you is listening to you sing songs. I, I do sing songs. <laughs> Several. Several songs, yeah. yeah. Um, started life as a, as a Rockford native here. I went to Auburn High School. I mm. married, my, married my high school sweetheart. Went through all of their uh, creative and performing arts uh, programs and all that. Okay. And wherever I went, I thought I was going to do something that wasn't music. And music kept on following me. I just kept writing and writing and writing. And... Eventually, I got bold enough one time. I was living in Chicago, and I'd written so many songs and um, just kind of kept them hidden. Someone said, There's got, they've got this open mic at this Uncommon Ground restaurant. You should, you should go do that. And it was a competition, and I, I don't like competitions at all. No, um, especially for being your first one. No, and my, my first time going out. So I'd written a song called Sangria, and I, and I went <laughs> and I played it, and I won. And I think I won like $7. And I went and I bought myself a hamburger mm-hmm. and I was like, <laughs> I've arrived. Yeah. But I did kind of put a, like a little thing thinking, okay, I can't be that bad at this, you know? And then I started sharing them more and, um, yeah, now I've got, um, 19 records and I'm working on the 20th. Um, so when was this competition? How many years ago? 2002. And you've done how many albums in that time? 19. Um, Holy cow. Yeah. I absolutely love writing. It's a practice now. I set my alarm for four every morning and I get up and I write music and I walk my dog and that's what I do with my life. And then I go wow. to work and then I... Wow. <laughs> and, and, the, and the work is owning the Norwegian restaurant, Yeah, which again, that's not like walking into an insurance agency. No. That's hard work. Yeah. I built that in 2015. I was a touring musician and teaching music at that time too. I'd picked up some students for a little extra bread and then my dad passed away and mm-hmm. he was from Rockford. My mom's in Rockford. I am an only child, and um, I thought I should be closer to my mom. They always say, don't do anything big in the first year of someone dying because you have a lot of yeah. feelings, yeah. but I didn't listen. Um, <laughs> I, bought, I bought an old building that would have been torn down. Um, the roof had caved in. It was. It used to be the Holtberg's gift shop. Yes. Bought yes. that building Yeah. and uh, renovated it. I was pregnant when I bought the building. I had just gotten married to it was there was all this stuff and I renovated 
demoed pregnant twice because then I got pregnant again. It took me about three plus years to renovate that building. And it was so disheartening because I, I just had all this like grief energy and mom superpowers. And like, there were so many yeah. things coursing through my veins, but I felt it was a pretty good outlet. I scraped tar off maple for six months while they built an entire bank across the street, but I'm just one woman, you know, <laughs> are your kids okay based my, on what you exposed my them to? My kids are good. My kids are good. But I will say that's a good question. At one point I was pregnant with my daughter, no, my son, well, which, whichever I was pregnant with, I was pregnant enough. And I thought I was hiding it pretty well underneath flannel and you know, whatever my, my big boxy shirts, but I would go to Nicholson hardware every day. They were in there and they were saying, do you have a deadbeat husband? And I said, no, I have a nice husband. They said, what are you doing in here every day? And I said, well, I'm, I'm, I've got a project. Anyway, they said, because you shouldn't be buying. I was going to, that, that was the day that I had just uh, bought. I think it was, it wasn't like mineral spirits. It was, it was some sort of product. It wasn't a stripping agent either, whatever. I was maybe Danish oil. Anyway, they said, you shouldn't be breathing that. You shouldn't yeah. even be doing this anymore. You're very pregnant. And then uh, I came home from having reno- you know, done my renovations that day. And my husband says, I got a phone call from Nicholson Hardware. And you know that when the local hardware store is calling home to say <laughs> your wife needs to stop, it's time to stop. You They're need- taking the place of your family practitioner. Yeah, you need to stop. So Nicholson <laughs> Hardware put the kibosh on the, the last three weeks before I gave birth and I stopped that. And The hardware store banned you. I know. They're like, she's got to stop. So I'm like, what? I didn't realize I was waddling so hard in there, but whatever. I love those guys so much. Um, they're, they're like our family too. And yeah, I... I didn't plan on opening a restaurant. I that wasn't really in my uh, like life goals. It was just this sort of. I just had so much weird energy, and I needed to put it somewhere. I think. Well, it sounds like you're getting a lot of taps on your shoulders, whether it be songwriting or the restaurant. It, 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 something needles you, and you have to sort of give in at one point. Yes. Is that fair? Yes, and you also have to figure out what is it that is being asked of you in these times, right? Because you can go through life, you can either, you can do this a couple ways, right? You can either go through life and think, I want what I want and I'm, I'm focused and I'm going to get what I want, right? Mm-hmm. That's one way. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. But then there's also this, like, what is being asked of me and how can I best serve this whole, like, this parentheses that is my life? Right. What What is, you know, and maybe you feel the same thing with what you're doing here. Well, and, and we own Skyward Promotions for 30 years. So I am right there. In fact, Sandy, when we bought the building down on Charles Street, Sandy was pregnant with Eric. So everything that you're saying is exactly... I can, I can adapt to, but I think the difference is if you say, I want what I want when I want it and you bowl through, there's a chance that you're going to step on people along the way where I think if you take the other route, you're going to gather a team and you're going to gather friends like the people at Nicholson hardware Yeah, and they're going to be friends for life. They sure will. Yeah. I I give it to your wife because one thing that they don't tell you, you, you shouldn't probably logically get pregnant and then start a business. But I've met so many women who have been pregnant and then done these incredible things. And I actually think it's the very best time to go for it. And and here's why. <laughs> because you are so secondary. The second that you become pregnant and then once the baby's born, oh, yeah. you're so secondary. You can't imagine the superhuman stuff you're able to accomplish because you're just used to being secondary. So it's mm-hmm. like, I just got to do this. I yeah. don't have a choice. I got to get, I got to get this. I got to go. Yeah. Um, so the 
old Emily who would feel discomfort and stop no longer existed and was replaced by new Emily. It's like, oh, this is uncomfortable, but I'm used to discomfort and oh. and that I'm just supposed to keep going. So let's just keep going. You know, it's a, it's a whole <laughs> different thing. There's just a very, mom energy is great. When everyone would, would say that they couldn't believe it was happening while I was pregnant. Anyway, anyway, so then, you know, the, the restaurant is now uh, not, I wouldn't say it's like a paramount focus right now. I'm, I'm, I would say, half the time there and half the time I'm back to, to writing and trying to play more shows. Um, it, you know, you go where you need to go when it happens. Well, let me back up just a little bit because friends of mine that I have known since high school at Auburn, cause I graduated in 1978. Okay. They said, you have got to go with us. Cause I've, I've gone before to them. Uh, you've got to go with us to the Anderson Japanese gardens for Tuesday night. And that says, okay, I'll look at my calendar. It was Cactus Blossoms. And I go, I'm not familiar with that. It says, oh, no, 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 it's not them. It's who's on first. (laughs) Emily Heard. And I go, I know the name a little bit. And then they mentioned the Norwegians, stuff like that. And so I went. And the thing about songwriters and singers, I think, and you can confirm this, is if you're in on that song, you have more of a tendency to tell, here's how this song came about. If it's somebody else that wrote the song, chances are the bigger you get, you just step up, you sing the song, you get the applause, you walk away and you start another song. But I think there's a tendency to go, here's where this came from. And that's what you did. And that's why I called you the next day. (laughs) I said, there's got to be more to this. And surely there is. So thank you, Don and Polly, for telling me. Oh, the Kalers. They're great. Yeah. Yeah. It was a wonderful night. And I don't know, There's there was some energy in that night. The audience brought you into the crowd. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Without you actually going into the crowd, because you're telling, all right, uh, you know, when I was a mom and the kids were toddlers, you know, I thought about this and that's where this song came from. And then when you hear the song, you go, whoa, that makes complete sense. I think that that's what it's about. Like, um, yeah. I just heard this thing and I, I couldn't agree. So I'm just going to reiterate what I heard. I thought, oh, this is this guy is saying the truth. It, creativity feels like, oh, oh, you put music on in the background. Oh, it make your work day go better. Put some music on in the background. Oh. You know, it's it's it, people who cr- create art or they put painting on the wall looks nice. But when you are feeling something and somebody else can understand that feeling either through art or through music or something like that. Like I, I'm not just interested in look at me hit the, this D with, you know, <laughs> I want to connect. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and, and maybe there's yeah. somebody. And, and when I was touring all the time, sleeping out of the back of my car, eating bar olives for dinner, and there was still smoke in all the venues. I still loved my favorite part of the gigs was not being up on stage. It was after it was over. And it's crazy for me as an introvert to have liked this, but it was so powerful. People would come up afterwards at the merch table and say, that song you wrote, that one real and and they wouldn't have done that if I wouldn't have said here's what this song is is about or you know um and so they went home and I mean that's those are the fans that still come out and follow me because I, I I we connected over something you know I I think if you don't prep them a little bit or you don't know a little something you know everybody's distracted you know even when they really want to listen as much as they really want to listen they're probably going to get about half of it 
the, right. fir- the first time through. Right. If they hear it over and over and over again, then it'll make more sense. You know, how many times have we heard Dreams by Fleetwood Mac? Right. It's, that's because it just ingrains you. But when you prep it, first time through, they go, ooh, I get that. And either it applies to me or it doesn't. And those people, I wouldn't say bold enough, but I guess uh, driven enough to come up and say something to you, Ooh, that's that's your fan. Now they turn into advocates for you Absolutely. and ambassadors. Yeah. yeah. And they're gonna go, they're gonna be like Don and Polly. They're gonna go and say, You have to come see this person. Yep. So Bruce Springsteen famously said, You don't need millions of people to like your music. You need two thousand people who will bleed for you. And I thought, <laughs> that's really true. You wow. you don't because because that really they're gonna they're gonna get the other people to come and whether or not anybody comes and barely listens to your music doesn't matter. You want those super fans, you know. Right. Um, right. And I've been so lucky with who I've met through the years and I'm feeling I gosh, when I think back to the days of touring and the magic that happened on, there was so much magic on the road and people that really helped me out. And a lot of it happened through radio, actually. I had a thing, every town I would hit, this was a little bit gimmicky, but I, it was it was true. Every town I'd hit, I'd eat somewhere or stop somewhere. I'd go to a library or let's say I was in India, Indianapolis and I would go out and eat somewhere and then I would do local radio always usually college radio or just somebody who would pick me up before the gig Wow! and say, I rolled into town. Oh, man, this place is great. This is what I've tried. If you've got anything else I should see while I'm here, let me know. But I'm playing over at this venue tonight and I'd play one song and that was how I would do tour. I think that radio is a one... And so many people would come out and say, oh, I heard you on whatever. Yeah. Because if you really want to connect to a town, you're going to local radio. Yeah, um, it's personal. Yeah. 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 And, it, and it always has been, you know, because that listener, I've been in radio for 12 years, but I've done other things, you know, over the 40 years, they think they're the only one listening. Yeah. <laughs> and clearly they're not, no. but it feels that way. Mm-hmm. And that's why so many people think they know the person on the radio because they think they're the only one listening. And then, of course, you bring somebody else in on it and they feel the same way. And they're bringing some kind of a local twist to it, like you said you just did. Oh, now she's one of us. Yeah. I mean, she's been to, you know, Joe's Hot Dogs or whatever. Yeah. How does she know that? Well, it's because she's one of us. No, you showed up that day. Yeah. <laughs> and you looked for someplace. When I went out to Cooperstown, New York, for the Baseball Hall of Fame, have you ever been there? No. Oh, unbelievable. One of the guys that I played baseball with from the Chicago Cubs, Lee Smith, was going in that year. And I figure, well, if there's ever a time to go to go see the museum, it's when he goes in. Right. And he's a nutball. He is so much fun. He's from uh, Louisiana and a jokester like nobody's business. So as I drove out there and I go through Toledo and Cleveland and Rochester and Syracuse, you know, I, I take it easy. I don't drive a whole lot. I got all kinds of time. I will stop at their botanical gardens, or I will go on to Guy Fieri's diners, drive-ins, and dives, and look where he's been, and I'll eat there, or I'll grab a food truck. And I could never do that with my wife, because she's a very picky eater. Well, I'll eat anything. And that was part of the experience. It wasn't just getting out, going through Cooperstown, and coming home. It was everything that I did going and coming. And that's probably exactly what you did on tour. Yeah felt the same way. Are you also part of that group? And usually it's country music. They will stay after the show and talk to fans until the last one's gone. I used to do that because I didn't have a choice. Um, and, and because 
I believe in synchronicity and mm-hmm. wondered what what might happen. I still want that. I want magic. Um, I want to know what you know and, and where you've been and not because of any like young desire to, you know, I'm a married woman. I'm not trying to like <laughs> hook up with anybody, but... <laughs> But, you know, do, who do you know? What, where you been? What's your story? Can I help mm-hmm. you? Can you help me? You know, mm-hmm. um, and even if we can't, did, did you impart something on me that was great? And sometimes it's just to see what where this goes. I played a gig in New York in the Hudson River Valley area. It was a strawberry festival. Mm-hmm. I play the piano, a keyboard, and I wheel my keyboard down. It's this crazy, beautiful setting down by a creek and you and I'm wheeling my keyboard down and I'm, I'm trying to find where I go and all these lovely people in in upstate New York are down there and I get there and they said oh no there's no electricity this is a unpowered instruments only what and all I had I, I had literally I had my keyboard and a banjo that I had bought off a stranger in a Dominic's parking lot in Chicago <laughs> And I go, I barely know how to play this. I'm learning how to play it while I'm driving across the country. It's like, it's, it's, uh, makes my fingers bleed because the bridge is wrong. There's all, and I, and I said, they said, well, you'll have to, you'll have to play that then. And I'm thinking, Jesus, I know like five chords on the banjo. I, I'm strumming it like a guitar. I don't know what I'm doing, but I guess I'm, I'm at this place. And I thought, that's okay. I don't know anybody here. I said, well, I've got a banjo. I'll go get it. They go, oh, that's good because Pete's about to wrap up and he's on banjo too. Well, I'm following Pete Seeger. Oh, no. I'm f- oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Wait, it gets better. So <laughs> so then I go, I get this banjo. It is a terrible banjo. It's awful. I must have had a look on my face that Pete knew. So Pete wraps up and he's got his like his classic banjo that this machine kills fascists and all that. And he's the, the news is there, obviously. And and after Pete finishes, they've got this kind of section of chairs and it's packed. And he finishes and they all stand up, I'm not joking, and go over to him and his mm-hmm. merch table and the news follows and whatever. And so mm-hmm. I, this is a little bit of a relief. I'm just there myself with my banjo and a completely empty block of chairs, probably <laughs> empty block of 50 chairs. And I, and I think that's okay, that's okay. I can do this, I can do this. I start playing and Pete, I watch it all happen. This is an interesting thing about him at that time. He had a wife in a wheelchair and he would pull her around on like a, not like a leash, but it was like she was tethered, you know. He went over and sat down in the front row. So for one song of my life, I played solo, really crappy banjo to Pete Seeger and his wife in a wheelchair. And then once he sat down, though, everybody thought I might be somebody. So then the crowd, like, slowly came over. And now I'm playing my full, you know, like, 40-minute set. Yeah. What does Pete know that we don't know? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So this gets finished, and it was so clunky, but he clapped, and he was very, very nice, very kind. Then everybody thought I was somebody, so because Pete Seeger had watched my whole set. so And, and, and he was very nice. We shook hands. We took a picture afterwards, and he went to go help with the kids' stage. He really was passionate oh. about getting kids. Anyway, oh, wow. but people think I'm somebody then. So I get invited on the craziest night of my life. Then I'm on the – I'm some lady wants to take my picture. She puts these parrots all over my arms, and she goes – I'm part of Parrots for Peace and celebrities. When we're doing this, pictures, well, yeah, can oh, I take your no. picture? And then somebody invited me out on a sloop. It was called, <laughs> it, I was on a sloop at the Hudson.
Hudson at some point. Like, I just kept saying yes. Oh, okay. Let's just see where I this know. takes us. And you can't make this up. No. I mean, come on. No. Arms full of parrots? No, Give me a break. no, no. It's not like you followed Jimmy Buffett. No, no. <laughs> yeah. And that's, and that's, I, oh, wow. That's, I think, the stuff that you can't just, I mean, you can, you, you do have your boundaries. If you know you're just cashed out, you're done, you've, you've put in all your energy and you need to go home, you can do that. Yeah. It, but it is good, I think, always to stay open to what's coming next and, and the magic of, of what's, you know. There are certain people, and I think, you know, when we mentioned Shotgun Mark Rivers, yeah. and you're a Rockford native, and you said, oh, yeah, I remember him. Yeah. We're about the same age, so we were listening to him in high school, basically. Yeah. There's very few people that will remember, you know, Mark Larson and Don Geronimo and all those people from the 70s on WROK. That's not to say they didn't listen to them, but they don't remember them, right. right? I think you're a dot connector where you will take in that information because you know, eventually, you'll probably use it somewhere else. Right. And you'll go, well, I know a guy, yeah. <laughs> you know, not just the people at the Nicholson Hardware, but I know a guy that maybe would be interested in whatever you're talking about right there. Would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. I also just don't like um, not having a plan or something. If we ever have to let anybody go at at work at, mm-hmm. at that restaurant now, I'll always say like, okay, and here are some, here's a, here's a letter of recommendation. Here's some jobs I think you should try. Yeah. <laughs> um, because I just, I, I really want to continue this energy of, you know, um, keep keeping, keeping people connected and right. buoyant and feeling like they matter and every little thing is somehow entwined and, you know, and having the restaurant has been pretty good for that because you do touch more people a day than I ever have in my life. Um, I mean, sometimes I'm just hiding in the basement getting work done, but, uh, you know, you you see so many people and, and, uh, have a profound impact on everyone's Mm -hmm. day. I've got a a server that used to be a social worker and she says she feels like she does more good now than when she was in social work. Come on. Yeah. Wow. People that she sees that she knows that she makes their day a little bit better by listening to what's happening or knowing what their order is or whatever. She said she feels like she's really making a difference now. Um, well, also is... keep in mind, too, those people come back because they want to, not because they have to. Right. Yeah. yeah. So if if they come back, that's a good indicator to her and you that they want more of what they had the last time. Yeah. Not necessarily the Sarah, not yeah. the food. <laughs> yeah. Where'd the Sarah come from? That's my favorite dish in Norwegian. Oh, it's, well, it's my, my sister-in-law eats the same thing for breakfast when she would come to the restaurant. Her name's Sarah. So we just named a dish after her, the Sarah. <laughs> and it's actually pretty popular because people do a lot of people, especially in Rockford, they're just looking for like, I just want eggs and toast and bacon yeah. and potatoes. That's yeah. really what I want. But boy, there's something about those potatoes. Yeah, we there's, worked hard on those. Yeah, yeah, there's something about it. You know, yeah. an egg is an egg is an egg, but there's something about those potatoes. Yeah. Good for you. And you you opened up on the west side. And there's a, a lot that was happening in that intersection at uh, Auburn and Maine years ago you know you remember jungle gyms was oh, there I and remember. oh I remember. my goodness all those and now that's all gone and there's a like you say there's a bank across the street but um there, there was like a renovation of some sort and a reliving and you obviously were part of that i, I gotta shout out the people that really did try and then eventually get through it in which i i get sometimes i want to throw in the towel 
you know, Alberto Altamori was down there for a long time sure. and he was open while I was renovating and then just couldn't anymore. Enough stuff had happened and that was it. There was a antique store that was open when I first bought the building and they have now since folded. Mm-hmm. It was called Stella and they worked so hard to try to bring that neighborhood back. But I mean, we get a bum rap and honestly, I, I blame media. They put a roundabout in at our intersection and they call it the Wreck-It Roundabout. And it drives me bananas because we work so hard to try to make people feel like this is a safe, good place to go. And everyone says, you're mm-hmm. going to get in an accident, you're going to get shot. you know. Um, and to be honest with you, it was a little bit scarier when I was down there alone and I would you know, find drug needles and whatever in the parking lot. And it was, it was a different kind of place and I got broken into and all that stuff. It's not like that anymore. Mm-mm. And there's and, and if there is anything that happens, it's not any more or less than on the east side. And I feel like we just get a bum rap. I meet people all the time when I'm out that when I'm they're like, Oh, what restaurant do you own? I tell them they say, Oh, we don't go west of Alpine. It's just West of Alpine. Oh, I you can't imagine how much I've heard that. Holy crap. Dozens. Alpine dozens of used people. to be the far east I, side of I town. Know, I know. Oh my goodness. I know. Well, it, I was down at State and Charles. Okay. And I bought a building down there uh, back in 1996. And I was in the same situation. I'm a Rockford native and from a selfish point of view, I sort of wanted to be in the middle of town because I'm a salesperson and I'm going out and seeing people all the time. Well, that doesn't happen now so much. Everything's all on the email and everything else. But I was like the spokes of a tire at that point. Well, of course, we had the panhandlers and the drug dealers and everything else. When they rerouted Charles, remember that yep. time, they completely took out all of these houses there that was just nothing but bad news. And wow, did that make a difference. We renovated the building and we were there for 18, 19 years before we sold the company. So I know everybody goes through that kind of crap, but you don't want one incident to sort of hang on to your back shirt tail for the the next 25 years. It was one incident. It's also, I mean, not to ignore trauma, but you like you do, you, you, so you saw something traumatic happened. I got assaulted by a guy at work. Um, when it was just me outside the building, not at work, but, uh, you know, outside the building, it was scary. I called the police and then I worked my way through that. And then you move on because what you don't want is like to hold on to you, you just, you, you got to heal whatever happened to you and then move forward mm-hmm. for it, for the betterment of everyone around you. Um, I work too, I, I, I know only cause I want once in a while we'll hold on to a bitterness too long at work and it makes, it's not good for anyone around you to hold no. on to that. You got to figure out what happened, move through it. If you were wronged or what you, you were hurt or something, figure that out. And, and otherwise you're just, I'm like I said, I'm not effective to my, for my team. Um, and yeah, I've learned that the best thing you can do is just keep on, you know, being good to yourself and let and then, and then just keep on going. That's right. And take steps so you don't stick your hand back in that fire again right, too. Right. Yeah, exactly. Let me get back to what you had mentioned before where you set your clock at 4 a.m. Yeah. And you do your routine and it's part of your songwriting. Yeah. Is it a forced thing? Like I've got to kick one out today? No. I I will say though I work well with deadlines. So if I uh, you know have created like last year I had written a bunch of songs and then I there was like three I really needed and I thought I'm going to write three songs this week. But you needed them to to, uh, to I had already for said, numbers wise? So oh so I only record one way 
for the bulk of all my recordings, I record one way, which is live. <laughs> um, one, right. it's cheaper. Two, I feel like there's magic in that recording. And even if there's mistakes, I, I like the sound of what it feels like to have a room of musicians playing together. Okay. So if I've set my recording date and I've budgeted everything, and this past year it was December 5th, 2022, um, and I had a collection of songs, I knew I wanted some safeties. And so I... I basically did have an, a hard deadline, December 5th, whatever songs I, you know, wanted to bring into the studio, I, I better have them done at that time. And you had the studio for one day? Yeah. Oh my. But I could have had it for more. I mean, it's not like, you know, I'm very good friends with my producer, John Abbey. He's made most of my records and, you know, we, we have as much as you want. But like I said, every time we go in to try to fix things or make things more slick, it just loses something like it just sounds less hmm. real okay so if we ever do anything once in a while like we'll get a core recording down and maybe i'll come back and add in a shaker or someone will come play the harmonica or something like that if we're missing an instrument or a tone or something but you, for the most part it's all live and you can do that in post-production is that yeah, what you're saying yeah, okay yeah, gotcha yeah yeah okay the getting up and doing all of this stuff is really it's for myself and whether or not a song comes or not like i can we, you're not supposed to say that you do this, otherwise it becomes not about you anymore. But I, I meditate a little. I write a little. I try to do it in the morning when my brain isn't active or my ego hasn't kicked in. And then I do about 10 minutes of some sort of exercise, whether it's like yoga or whatever. And then my kids are waking up at some point and then my husband's waking up later. And I just don't have any other time. So I had to figure out when I was going to make that time. And the early mornings just suit me because it's quiet and I get it just to myself. Man. And honestly, it's just, it's a practice that now I crave and miss it when like we just went away for the weekend to camp or whatever. And I didn't do it. And I feel like depleted because I don't, even though it's like I got more sleep, I didn't get that enriching thing that yeah. I've come to really feel like, okay, I got... Here, here it is seven o'clock and I haven't done anything. Yeah, yeah. I, I, <laughs> Boy, I, what an underachiever you are. Yeah, I am that, I am that person. Um, I am that person. Wow. I, but I, I don't want to seem too like, oh, I'm, I'm so peaceful and I'm doing this for all the right reasons. Like I still want to write your favorite song. You know what I mean? That's yeah. still uh, something I'd love to have bookmarked my life having written something that really connected to somebody. That really is a true thing I want. Um, but who's to say that you haven't, you just haven't heard about it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of things. I mean, I, I spent 12 years on the radio. There's a lot of things that you say that you get absolutely no feedback whatsoever. Yeah. None. You have no idea whether there's five people out there or 5,000 people at any given time. Right. None. You still have to sort of talk yourself into that this is content that somebody's going to want and that they'll maybe get a little bit of a chuckle out of it and then we're into a song. Maybe it'll stick with three people. Maybe. Yeah. Once you sort of talk yourself into that, it's a lot easier to do because you're in a glass box just like you're in a studio and you have no idea who buys your CDs or who listens to your music. And even when you're live, like the Anderson Japanese Gardens, you didn't meet everybody that night. No. No. You have no clue what the mix-up of that audience is, but yet you keep going. Yeah. And that's the magic of it. Yeah. 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 So when you attack writing a song, what what's your basis? Is it a topic? Is it a harmony? Is it a, I want it to be a happy song, a sad song? I want, where, where do you start? So I try not to think. That sounds like a strange thing to say, but I'm honestly 
I bring thinking into the process later. It's like I don't want to edit myself while I'm creating. So it's happened a couple ways, I will say. So sometimes I'm just out with a group of friends and someone will say like, oh, you know, oh, yeah. whiskey's a color tonight. And I'm like, I got to go. And I'm... <laughs> Good and, for you. That's right? fantastic. Um, uh, and, I'll, <laughs> and I'll go. That that happens. I'd say as a where we're at now, um, a lot of it is just playing something on the piano and then hearing something and then just trying to sing over it until something is like, oh, I like that. But I really don't move forward with it until I like or love something that's happening. And then once I like or love something, I just keep going. And I read a book i read a lot of from other songwriters and john lennon once said as i, I keep quoting these musicians oh, but that's great john lennon once said when you write a song just like write it entirely in the moment just write it and then come back you know i mean he took it took him like you know a month to write strawberry fields but i'm sure he completed something in yes. the moment yeah uh, paul mccartney wrote you know yesterday was uh scrambled eggs oh my darling you have lovely legs and he wrote the whole thing out and then like had to come back and and do that yeah and I kind of feel the same way. I it's it's a if if I'm on about something or a, an idea has found me, and I feel like I'm channeling something pretty good, I just try to get as much of it down as I possibly can, and then like and that's all I usually have time for is that, and then let it sit, and then I'll come back and revisit with different words, and that happens quite a lot. Where I'll then I bring my mind into it and think about this a little bit more. Think about the order, the rhythm, yeah, all that stuff. Yeah. Have you ever seen the documentary about songwriters? that was played a couple of years ago at the Beloit International Film Festival. Are you familiar with that documentary? No. I'll get you the exact name of it. Okay. But uh, it had people like Mac Davis and other yeah. songwriters, and they were from Nashville, and they were talking about the business of songwriting. And I mean, these are heavy-duty people. Yeah. They write songs that uh, Brooks and Dunn or Reba McIntyre or somebody has, has recorded, and they say, well, here's how we go about it. And here's this one guy. He was maybe... 27, 28 years old, something like that. So he's a newcomer compared to these guys that have been doing it for decades. And he writes, like you were talking about, just let it come out of you. Yep. And he writes it on pieces of paper, little bitty tiny pieces of paper. And so he's got this stack by the time he's done. And then he'll go back for the editing part or the thinking part, and he'll arrange those almost like on a storyboard. Yeah. And then he goes, okay, now I've got these cluster of words together. That's where I want to do, so I need to sort of fancy that up. And then here's this other cluster of words. And then, of course, that's how he writes. Nobody else in the documentary wrote like that. Well, that's that's very Nashville. And I can tell you because I lived there and tried to sell songs. That's a Nashville songwriter's music row way of writing. Wow. Um, and it is wild to see mm -hmm. they're in their own league um and i wouldn't say it's better or worse or good or anything it's that that's what they have to do mm. they have to um i mean they're pumping out these songs so fast you can't imagine i would get together with other songwriters down there and they're taking these I'm, this is not an exaggeration they're taking these scraps of paper out of their pockets and they're laying them down you know this is how co-writing happens you oh. all, and, and everyone wants to be on a co-write because then you get a part of the, the royalties yeah so you know, it's like, oh, well, I got, you know, walked past your tombstone in the light of the something. Well, I got pocket full of, you know, mis <laughs> yeah. misery and no dimes and what, and I got this. To me, that style doesn't work for me. I tried it, um, just be, which is fine that it works for others, and it has to be because they have to go so fast with yes. their write, writing. And you can imagine the energy. Oh yeah, it's 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 frenetic. Um, <clears throat> but the um, 
I mean, they were pitching the next day because I mean, it's like that. Wow. So they and and they were finding oh, let's get so and so on on. Uh, but everyone was kind of somebody down there. I left a week early at my final pitch. I'll never forget this. I I, I left a week early on my final pitch. Obviously, none of my songs sold. They were actually actually telling me like it was just it was too sad. My music was too sad. Sound like loser wrote these tunes. So sad. <laughs> Um, which is good. You know, you got to be able to take feedback, but I'll never, you do. You do. woman in a woman in a, in a pants, like, like in a sweatsuit, like a velvety velour sweatsuit. She was gathering tunes for George Strait. We sat in a circle and I played what at that time I felt was my best song, which is funny now because it's, it's, it's not, I've written better things since then, but at that, t- at that time it was played it. And she just said, thank you. Somebody else played it. They said, thank you. She uh-huh. just, you know, it, it was, it was just a pass, you mm-hmm, know, pass on that, pass on that, pass on you. <clears throat> and then, um, she got this last guy and I forget the whole tune, but the hook was ladies, it's called boxers or briefs. And they're like, what do you think is underneath boxers or briefs? And she's like, that's the hit. And I remember it was 2007 wow. and I called my dad and I said, Johnny Cash is dead in Nashville. I said, he is not here and I'm coming home early. I was so mad because I felt like <laughs> I, I don't want to write like this. If this yes. is what sells, I'm not here. And I mean, I remember they used to tell us, I was part of this NSAI songwriter group down there in Nashville. Mm-hmm. Um, and they would tell us, oh, the best way to make it in songwriting right now is to listen to what's on the radio and write like that. And I don't mm. care. Like they're like, and, I, and they said, you know, burgers and parking lots, and this is this is what's in style. So write like that. Yeah, but the style changes. The style, and if you don't, the, if you're not doing it differently, the style will never change. Exactly. And, oh and, God. And you know, it's. I get why they need what they need. The business, I get the industry. Like I also, I, I belong to this taxi music service where they will send these pitches. We need a vintage songwriter that sounds just like this for this song, for this long and this movie and whatever. And you, oh, it's, you okay. know, and that's fine. Well, then I get it. Or if yeah, they have a commercial got, or yeah, something. It's a commercial. It's that commercial is the word. <clears throat> all of, all of this part of the music industry is a commercial thing, right? So I have to not be bitter that my music isn't ever probably going to be commercially viable. I have to be grateful for the fact that this is the route I've chosen to take with music, which is, you know, I, I'm doing this for connection. I'm doing this for, yes. you know, it's yes. it's a different, it's something different. It's This isn't where my money, well, let's hope it, someday my money's all just coming from music. But <laughs> for now, a little bit of money's coming from music. They did place one of my tunes in um, NCIS and I get royalties off that. Nice. Yeah. It was really wow. funny too, because I wrote this song. It was like this beautiful, meaningful song. And I didn't even know it was there. My uncle Dave in North Carolina called and said, I think I just heard you on NCIS. And I don't, I didn't have TV at the time. I just had my little computer, you know? And so it took me a long time to go back and find out, was this me? What happened? Well, there's this scene in one of them where this, like, it's this really creepy scene where they're (laughs) sitting at the, and, and sure enough, my song's on the jukebox and they're sitting there and they've both got these, um, glasses and inside one of the glasses is a human ice ball i'm sorry i ice uh, eyeball in an ice cube like it's a like a, it's like an eyeball that the bartender has dropped in they don't know where it's come from and i'm like man this beautiful song that i wrote is like the backdrop to this like <laughs> woman getting the eyeball ice cube in her drink and oh my god but it, it paid the bills a little bit um so i'll take that and if that could happen again that'd be great um i just have to remind myself that's not why i'm doing it if if that can work out that's great but that's not why i'm doing this so well, it's a, it's that whole thing of love the work that you're doing. If the money follows, that's fantastic. But have the passion for it. Mm-hmm. I honestly, 
why do we do this as a storyteller studio? Why do we do Life's 3x5's podcast all on location? We could easily come into a glass box and do those shows, but that's not fun. No. Right. And Liz and I were telling each other, if we get listeners, that's all well and good. But if we're not having fun doing it, then we need to stop. Right. And it's been about a year and a half. And we've done 47 episodes, and we've got listeners in 39 states and 23 countries. And we don't know why, but the analytics show it, and they come back over and over. Why would somebody in Malawi care about what we're talking about in Rockford and Northern Illinois? Man, there's there's something about Rockford. I got to just tell you, it's <laughs> almost bizarre when I think about what's happened and the people, that the talent, the insane oh, talent that's yes. come out of Rockford, Illinois. And oh, yeah. I, I swear to God, there must be something to having to fight for fight for something mm-hmm. um this is a very scrappy community mm-hmm. we most of us were not handed anything no nope, very blue collar very blue collar my right. dad was you know both parents even though i mean we, they did they did well but they i i can't remember a saturday sunday we weren't outside working mm-hmm. and i know a lot of people were raised that same way that was like you better hustle let's work hard um i just last week went to a um one of the people that graduated with me is a Top Gun instructor now. Oh my. And he was in the new Maverick movie. Oh. And it was like flying. Uh, Goose's son was Rooster. Rooster. Yes. All the scenes that Rooster was in uh, was Mike Andrews, this guy that was that I graduated with. And he came back and gave a talk out at the airport. And he was kind of nodding to that as well. Like the, the talent in Rockford it's mind blowing. We, yeah. we, you know, so many people we've got, you know, Emily bears on tour with Beyonce and from destiny's child. I graduated with Michelle, but she changed her, or her name was Tanitra and she changed her name to Michelle, Michelle Williams. Yeah. Yeah. So many people just in the, my little world that went on to do these amazing things. People in my class went yeah. on to do these incredible things. And I also believe that we are we do ourselves a disservice sometimes when we just have everything that we need. Something about going to Auburn, man, we didn't have anything over there. We no. were like cobbling together uniforms. We didn't have what we needed. But it does something to your creative energy to be like, we don't have this. I think there's I think there's somebody <laughs> somewhere that has to tell you this is what you can do. I know you don't have it, yeah. but this is what you can have. Go get it. Yeah. And I saw Janet Lynn. Do you remember yes. Janet Lynn? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Figure skater. Yeah. I saw her at the Midway Museum. I and saw she was coming to town. Yes. And she was delightful. Yeah. And she's pint size and so bright and, and, you know, flashy. And she spent as much time with anybody that anybody needed, however long the line was. I found out afterwards from the people at Midway that they were live streaming her talk in Japan because they still have a fan base in Japan. Now, she won the bronze in 1972. (laughs) (laughs) Come on. And, you know, here's the other side, too. I was mentioning, and you were giving me some tips about Golden, Colorado, because we moved my son out there. He had a recent interview with a TV station. Now, keep in mind, he's going from the 138th media market in the nation to number 16. I said, are you aware (laughs) that that's a really, really big jump? And he loved TV 23 and he loved the people. He goes, I know, but the Rocky Mountains are calling me. And I go, I get it. You're 24. I get it. Things call you. 
So he goes out there, and of course, he's going 90 miles a minute with all these uh, applications and everything. And I told him, and maybe this is part of the Rockford thing. I said, I told him, you have to stand out. I said, take your resume and go down to the Kinko's and have them run you 20 copies and look up the addresses of these places that you applied to and knock on the door. I said, you may get a receptionist, you may get a security guy, you may get somebody on a speaker that's not willing to even come out and talk to you. I said, but you need to stand out in that different way. And I said, here, look at it as you're going to learn about different parts of the city that way. And maybe you'll find a new restaurant that maybe you can pick up a taco or something. I said, there's got to be some side benefits to this. So he goes to this TV station and the security guy spends time with him because security guys have time to spend with him. And he goes, geez, I really appreciate this, whatever. He said, I'll walk it in. I'll walk it in to the right person. The next day, this guy called him and he says, I'd like for you to come in in a couple of days for an interview. He goes, okay. So they set up the time. As soon as Eric sat down across from that guy, the guy told him, I should not be granting you this interview. And he goes, why? This is only three days ago. Why? He says, well, if you haven't got at least five years experience in the TV industry, I don't even look at you. But I saw that you were from Rockford, Illinois, and I saw that you're an Eagle Scout. And he goes, well, I get the Eagle Scout thing, but what about the Rockford, Illinois thing? Yeah. And he says, we've hired two or three people over the last four or five years, and they have worked out fantastically. So I'm going to give you a shot. And then he says, I'm going to hand your stuff over to the news director. And that person gave him an interview. And I'm going to hand your stuff over to the production people. He had three visits. And they are going to probably hire him this week. That's amazing. It is. It's crazy. And I I keep telling him, I said, I don't make this stuff up. I says, I learned this over the years. And I said, now you've got a story that you're going to be able to tell somebody else that this is what I did and this is what happened. Not that it's going to happen every time, but... What do you got to lose? Yeah. If you give a 24-year-old side benefits, like maybe you'll find a new taco place. Right. Then you go, okay, it may be worth it. Yeah, that's all he needed. Yeah, that's all I needed. Yeah. Just to segue a little bit, there's um, a, a lot of people in my field um, that aren't a fan of the internet at all. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't like Spotify because they don't get paid off it. They don't mm-hmm. like, um, you know how YouTube does all your, they just don't like that so many people have access to your music uh, without you being compensated. I think that the internet and the our ability to make the world small is so great. And concurrently, I think it's important then to show up in person. I have gotten so many gigs because someone found me on Spotify. Then we met face-to-face. I just think that story happens again and again as well. Um, And to not enjoy the internet or Spotify or what, you know... Yeah, it, it, they're not paying you big money. I understand, but the Exposure. access, yeah, yeah, and 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 I to not think that that's important is crazy. Somehow that's going to lead to something for you. You can't just be in a bubble and expect it all. You've got to use the tools we've got now, which is you know he found. That is exactly it. It's a tool. Yeah, and I uh, I did this with the Boy Scouts um, because these guys are you know getting to be eighteen years old and move on to something else because you age out at 18. And I gave each of them a hammer that I got from Estwing Hammer. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I said, you have choices from this day forward. This is just a tool. It's all it is. I said, you can either build a house 
or you can go break in a business and steal everything they have and use this tool to accomplish either one of those just as easily. And you don't have to be trained on the tool and the choice is going to be yours. Boy, you could hear a pin drop because I said, you know, my grandfather back in 1928, he decided to have a construction company. He built a lot of barns in the area. And you guys know where Aldine Golf Course is. Oh, yeah, 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 oh, yeah, yeah. I said, you know the barn that's still standing on the golf course? Yeah, yeah. I said, my grandfather built that when it was a dairy farm. And they kept it because Norris Aldine said you needed to keep that as part of the agreement when you made it into a golf course. And I said, my grandpa had exactly the same choices that you do right now when he picked up a hammer. But he decided to build a barn. So what are you going to build? And it's so cool. It's so rewarding when you hear back from some of those people that are now 24, 25, bumping 30. Some of them have families, some don't, some are, you know, nautical engineers, but they come back and they touch base with you. They do that full circle thing. And I think if you don't make a connection with them, either as a songwriter or an author or a painter or a restauranteer, anything, they will not come back full circle, but they feel like they need to report, like, here's what happened. Yep. Yes. Yes. And that's so rewarding. And you never know if it's ever going to happen, ever. No. You can't predict it. No, you can't go in hoping that they, you'll, you'll get it back in the end. No. So, so no. you were a Boy Scout leader? Uh, Cub yes. Scout? Eight years. Wow. Eight years, yeah. Never was a Boy Scout, but when uh, I got my son into it, then I was in with leading it and stuff like that. My husband is an Eagle Scout, and I will say that actually has gotten him quite a few places as has well. It? Yeah, wow. and, and he grew up in the Est Wing house. So oh, it's funny sure. that, yeah. that like even as we say things, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> we are a culture here, you know. It is. It my, is. And, and you know, <laughs> my my mom and dad met at Ingersoll Engineering. That's where oh, they both worked. Sure. Um, and they had their first date at the Rod Skeller, which <laughs> you know, it's just now closed, but like, stones throw up from your place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like all of these institutions and, you know, we are all so connected by them. You know, everyone, mm-hmm. we, we, we all have such similar memories and like have touched such... Anyway, at Rockford is special. I've, I've been to Chicago. I lived there for a long time. I, Chicago is also special. Rockford is a little bit different. Like I said, you just don't have what you need. A lot of us just don't. And it's still the case today. Like it's just still the case. I will, my, my kids are making activities out of marshmallows and toothpicks and you know, it's fine. (laughs) They're fine. We're getting it done. You remember, remember the, uh, the movie night at the museum with Ben Stiller? God bless him for thinking of this. Cause it was, it's such a cool night. The field museum in Chicago decided to have an overnight. So you've got 642 people. How I remember that number, I'll never know. But here's 642 people piling into the Field Museum. We look like a bunch of refugees, you know, because we all have our sleeping bags and our pillows and whatever. And they had opportunities for you to hold a tarantula or hold a hissing cockroach or whatever. And then they also had these, which a lot of them had Native American bases, but it was the it was the very simplest of games that was two sticks and a golf ball. I mean, that's it. Yeah. But it was so much fun and to see <laughs> these kids do this. So, you know, we all find our spots throughout the night. So we were next to some rhinoceros or something that was in the field museum. I don't even know why I'm telling you this. I can't remember why I'm telling oh, I'm you this. I'm loving it. I think it was the marshmallow and toothpick game <laughs> thing. But uh, in the middle of the night, you hear this, 
and I'm going, oh my God, are they, are they messing with us? Are they putting this sound yeah. through here? Like the museum's coming alive at three o'clock in the morning. Is this part of the experience? No, it was a four-year-old girl throwing up. <laughs> <laughs> And she had thrown up all over her uh, sleeping bag. So they literally at three in the morning had to roll up everything and leave because there was no recovering from that. But, oh, God, it was hilarious. But the whole thing was they gave you the simplest of things, no video interactive games or any of that. And they could have, right? All these kids were strangers and they had a ball. I think that's sort of some of the things that we do at festivals and stuff. Uh, if if they take the notion to in Rockford, like Swedish Days would be a very good example. Yeah. Do you guys still have the the festival in the back of your restaurant? Snow Market. Yes. What what month is that? It's in December. It's in December. Okay. Norwegian based. Yeah, it's meant to look like a Nordic fishing village, and then we sell like Nordic things like fish on a stick and glug and <laughs> there you, you know, go. <laughs> <lefsa. laughs> Can't have a festival without something on a stick. No. Good for you. Hey, tell me about your guitar guy. You started that story at the Anderson Japanese Gardens. Oh, Greg, he's he's wonderful. Um, you know, he worked at the Old Town School in the IT department, and I was working a concert series. Um, I'd always talked to him. He was quiet. I was quiet. It was fine. Uh, liked his girlfriend a lot, and we thought, okay, we're 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 gonna maybe you know be friends. I had put together the same way I do, like I just told you, I you know I I had booked a studio date. We were gonna record it live, mm-hmm. and this that whatever the date was, I think it was probably in November. And my cousin was gonna be the guitar player, and we were all gonna show up and make a record. And the the night of, I get a, a like early texting. Uh, picture of my cousin his hand and it's completely bloodied he's a dog he used to work for a vet clinic clinic and the dog had bitten through his oh, hand no. and it took me forever to get that date and get people together and oh. i thought I, I it's not like and again i think a lot about well i guess it, i tried to instantly i'm you know doing the thing in my head thinking okay it wasn't meant to be it's okay it wasn't meant to be and then jimmy t jimmy tomasello the um guy who was going to play bass for the gig said oh you what about greg o you should talk to greg o Greg Ostrom, I said, he's in IT. He said, he's a great guitar player. <laughs> so the way that most of this works is we don't, again, because I'm such a believer in magic, mm-hmm. um, I don't give the guys the songs usually ahead of time, mostly. It's like, just show up and we'll learn them together. How can they do that? One, because I am surrounded by amazing people that wow. just kind of trust that process and they know I'm not going to be mad if they don't do anything right. I'd so much rather they just feel something in the moment and we wow. all just come up with something. Wow. That's cool going in almost by design. And if it happens, it happens as opposed to not going in by design and then it happens. Yeah. You enter the room differently, don't you? You do, and it's a relief for them. I mean, I always put out a huge spread of food. I've done this since the beginning, since I'm early 20s. Huge spread of food, bottle of whiskey, scotch, couple <laughs> beers, and I'm like, all right, let's just have some fun. Uh-huh. And I would say I don't remember a session that's been longer than six hours and we haven't gotten at least a dozen tunes done because we just say, felt good. I liked that. Or sometimes a, a tune will kind of thwart you and we'll say, I don't think that worked good. Uh, you know, let's let's tr- try it. Di- try it like this. Play it like this. You switch over to acoustic guitar. You move to electric. You know, we'll just kind of do some of that. But I like coming up with that together. Wow. It's not because I don't trust myself, but I'm not in it to be a great musician. I'm okay at playing the piano. I can get it done on the piano. I don't want to become 
pro, like some virtuosic, you know, piano player. I want them to be good at at playing, and I want them to feel like they have my support going in cool. to do what they feel. I'm not going to have a better idea than them. All I can hear is, does this do the song justice? And usually it does. Once in a while I'll say, ah, this is a happy song. I think we're playing it a little low. Or, oh, this is, you know, whatever. Can we switch that up? But usually I don't even have much of a critique. Maybe I'll say something 5% of the time. And how many people do you usually have with you? Four. Four, okay. Yeah, it's right. four. I, I, that's not true. The last three, there were five. But this last one I'm, that's, I'm going to release in November had four. That record was done on December 5th. We, did, we, we didn't do anything. We barely mixed. We barely mastered. It, it will be what it'll be, and I loved it. It was just so good, just yeah. the way they did it. I mean, I would have liked to have a horn section on it, but again, that's expensive, and I don't have, I don't have the money. Right. But maybe somebody listening. <laughs> yeah, maybe someone has some money for me to put a horn section on something. And I can, char- I can chart it. I can write it. But again, I really um, – I do not uh, ever – I've never asked uh, for anyone to play for free for me. I always make sure everyone gets paid really well. I, I'm very adamant about that. I've been asked to play so many free gigs. And I started off being okay with that. Mm-hmm. And then, like, I think I'm hauling all my gear. I'm practicing oh, yeah. for this stuff. Like, oh, yeah. you know, get a sponsor and kick me a little bit. Anyway, I've, I've always paid them well. And to get a horn section, now you're talking another, like, three grand onto a record or something. And I just... That's a lot. So, um, and I've got kids now, and I mean, we're getting it done, but we, we're a break-even kind of family. So, yeah, you know... Did you ever hear the story about Elvis in Studio B in Nashville? Did you ever hear that story? Well, maybe I read his biography. What they I took the tour, you okay. know, the Country Music Hall of Fame and all that stuff because that's this what I played mostly on the radio during my time was country music. We go in the pouring rain over to Studio B. We all smell like Labrador retrievers once we got in there because we were just soaked. And here's this gal who has done this tour a thousand times and she's just not thrilled you know a thousand times she's read this script and she was talking about i think it was elvis's are you lonesome tonight okay he always started late like at nine o'clock or ten o'clock and prince did that he would start two o'clock in the morning you know i hear too and they could not hit it they just could not do it it just was not feeling right and it was like midnight As the story goes, Elvis said, all right, everybody pay attention to what you have in front of you. You know, where your drumsticks are and where your water is and whatever. All right, are you guys all set? Do you know where your stuff is? Yeah. And he told somebody, douse the lights. He goes, all right, three, two, one. And they start the song in pitch black and nailed it because there was no other quote unquote distractions. They packed it up and they went home after that song and after that take. Yeah. And since then, the studio, instead of having white lights, because they had those sort of four spotlight clusters, you know, over certain parts, that they changed it to one's green, one's red, one's blue, one's yellow. And it's been that way ever since because it's a softer deal. And there was no dimmers back in the day. Right. And so he just said, turn the lights off. And it worked. It's a great move. Yeah. He, he was reading the room. Um, I, yeah, that we, we have those moments or we know when we just need to take a break and do a reset. We'll do that. We'll do that. We have played by candlelight. I've written quite a few Christmas songs. 
um, new ones. Uh, Cause I just have this, like, I want there to be more Christmas songs. I love Christmas and I hate Christmas at the same time. Cause it's just the same songs over and over and it over is. again. It is. So anyway, I've been trying to write more Christmas songs. And for that one, I put Christmas trees around just to get everyone oh, in some yeah. sort yeah. of a, <laughs> yeah. in sort of a mood. Um, and that was fun. Uh, yeah, we, we, we've, I'd, I'd say I'm kind of over the course of my life since I started doing this, averaging a record a year, and whether or not people ever hear it or I, I'd love it if they did, but also like, I don't know, I think people have a short bandwidth and I think that mm-hmm. it's like, it's really harder to reach a lot of people. Everyone's trying to look for the newest, craziest sound. And I think that I've pretty much found what I sound like now. <laughs> yeah. But, but honestly, you have extremes from what I had at that concert because you say, well, here's a song about parenting. And then like two songs later, she goes... All right, here's this song about drinking whiskey. And I'm going, oh, my God. Oh, my God, there's your extremes. Yeah. But yet, you telling me ahead of time, it made me understand it a little bit more. Yeah. And it was obviously more entertaining. When you were talking about an album coming out, have you titled it yet? Yeah, it's called Meanwhile, I Love You. How do people get your music now? And how are they going to get the new one that's coming out? They can go to emilyherd.com. Okay. And they can pre-buy um, Meanwhile, I Love You. The vinyl's coming out in November, and I'll do a show in town, and they can find me on iTunes and all of that. Um, yeah, that's the best. But the best way is really if you want to support a, an independent songwriter is to do it on their website because no okay. one else will take a cut. I mean, oh, it's always yeah. great if you get it, you know, via Amazon or iTunes or however people are getting it. But, you know, they take their cut. So if you really want to support them all the way, just go to a website. I'd say most of my songwriter friends are the, would say that as well. Okay. And that's Emily Hurd, H-U-R-D. Yeah emilyherd.com and I understand all about the cut thing because I release books Yes, and it's on Amazon and yes they take their cut as they should because they're providing a service they are they're providing a service because there's people in um, Panama that would never know that I existed if it wasn't for Amazon so I'm really, really glad that you took my call. Oh, well, listen. it's you it, didn't know me. No, it's great. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. And I think that maybe the thing to end on is you, you got to say yes to those opportunities. I'm sorry for any time I ever didn't. Um, and so you calling me up and saying, hey, I'm a person and I want to do a thing. If I've got time for it, the answer is always going to be yes. If it uh-huh. seems like it's if it's a kindred person, or even if it's not, like oh maybe there's you know something here. I just think we should be like that more often. One of my best gigs, somebody found me on Spotify and said, "My name is Hans Gunter Wall. I live in Germany. I'd like to set up a tour for you." And I thought I'm pregnant. I was pregnant with my daughter. I thought this is insane. Some German man wants to do this. He he flew to Chicago to meet me and said. I thought it was going to be fake. In fact, my husband and I had a code word. It was white squall. I remember he's like, if I went to pick up this guy in in Chicago and he's like, and I had it ready to text white squall. If, But I mean, it was a guy with like L.L. Bean boots and a little, he's a little German man. And he, we took him home. We took him out at, to Altamore's. It was right before it closed. And he said, I want to, I want to, you know, put a tour together for you. Is he a concert promoter nope, by trade? Nope, nope. He's a doctor, but he Come on. but he found my song "Heart of Snow" in, on a Christmas record. I looked at my husband. I said, "It's really hard because this doesn't make sense. I'm in the middle of construction. I'm pregnant." But all that aside, who does this? I know. So, Halfway across the world. So I, he flew me out. I played some venues. It was wonderful. I said yes. And how many nights did you do? Four. 
My four nights goodness. in Germany. It ended badly. He booked all the hotels except I booked my last one and it was in Frankfurt. And I was like, why so cheap? And it was the red light district and like it was just oh. seedy. Oh, yeah. There was a lot that happened. That's a story not for not for public. But <laughs> yeah. anyway, um, uh, but it was really cool. And I, it's just another one of those lessons that if, you know, if someone's saying, would you or would you like to, I think you just say yes. And, you know. Granted, you do have to be more careful. Yes. Or you, or you wouldn't have had White Squall going on. Right, right, right. I guess if you vet them, you yeah, know, yeah. And, you, and you make them jump through a couple of hoops and you go, okay, you're legit. I'll, yeah. I'll give it a shot. Yeah. I'm glad you asked. And uh, yeah, this is amazing. I, I, you listeners can't can't uh, see it but this is the most amazing room in rockford right now <laughs> with memorabilia and records and it's this is a really special thing that you've got going on i don't know how long you'll be in this space but this is this is a good one thank it's you great we've been in here about a, a year and a half and the best thing that you said when you walked in the door that you were a rockford native you noticed there was zero explanation I didn't have to explain any of no, this. No, no, because you lived it. Yeah. There was a, a time where my niece from Arizona came up here, and she was probably 25 at the time. You know, you try to take them. She's been here several times. You try to take them to new and different places, you know, so it's not the same old, same old. And they had done the um, murals in Belvedere at the time. So I said, I want to take you on this little tour of the murals that they got. And there's maybe, you know, a dozen of them or so. As we'd stop at that mural, I would tell her something about it. And some of them were just advertising, you know, like the popcorn place or something like that. But it was just pretty to look at. And then others had some history. And at the end of this, she goes, how do you know so much? I go, what do you mean? You had these stories about all these paintings. And I said, well, Katie, it's really easy when you've lived it. Yeah. This is not remembering anything. This is not, you know, textbook stuff. I was here when it happened. Right. <laughs> They're just capturing the history on this mural. And you're doing it through music and you're doing it through songwriting. And it, it, there's going to be somebody along the line, I believe if they haven't already, that they're going to go, Emily, how do you know that? And you go, it's because I lived it. And now you're just catching up. Yep. <laughs> yep. Well, thank you. I really yeah, appreciate it. Yeah, this has it. been great. Thank you for joining us in the Storyteller Studio with Tim Larson and Liz Wilder, where everything begins with the story.